welcome to the 15th episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners. This podcast is a production of Startup Space, an entrepreneurship community building platform. I'm your host, David Panraj. Today, we'll be speaking with Ken Evans, who's a managing director of the Tech Startup Business Accelerator for Tampa Bay Innovation Center. Welcome, Ken. Hello, David. Thank you for having me on the pod. Absolutely. It's been uh, uh, some time in the works, and I'm uh, definitely looking forward to this episode. Let's start by just getting a quick introduction of your current work and the community that you're serving. Okay. Uh, well, as you mentioned, I'm the uh, managing director for an accelerator program of that. Uh, the institution, the Tampa Bay Innovation Center, has been around since 2003, uh, serving entrepreneurs in the tech community. Uh, the accelerator program is relatively new. We've done two cohorts and we're uh, uh, starting the application process or just going over the application process for the third cohort, which will be starting in January. Um, and we, the center does a lot of coaching and mentoring for entrepreneurs. It has office space and co-working for entrepreneurs. But the accelerator program itself was a 12-week intensive program that helped people get out of uh, their mindset of the, um, the idea that they have and really get into the mindset of the customer whose problems they're solving. And so we spent a lot of time on the product, uh, the strategy, the go-to-market, and all the things that any entrepreneur, especially those that are uh, building uh, products for businesses, um, they, they need to make sure that they, they check all those boxes before they go to market, before they build an expectation uh, with customers that, uh, that their product is the solution to their problem. So we spend a lot of time in product management, which is my background, making sure that these founders have really tested all their assumptions, met with users, done an adequate amount of research, and are really ready to go out and talk to customers in a compelling way. So that type of program is a little bit different than most programs where um, the focus has been on things other than the product. There's a lot of programs that focus on uh, engaging investors or you know, doing uh, marketing communications and social media. I like to focus on the product because if you get the product right, you generally can build a business on top of that. Let me ask you a little bit about your history. You have a long history of supporting small businesses and entrepreneurship. In fact, are an advisor to startup space and you've been an advisor personally to me since day one. Can you talk about your history working in corporate America, the switch over to supporting small business and entrepreneurs, and then some of the programs like Barcamp that you are very actively involved in? Absolutely. Um... Well, you know, it's, I started my career as a system engineer. Uh, I was working for a big company. I was actually one of the big telcos up in the Northeast at the time. But I was, I was calling on a lot of smaller businesses, um, you know, small law offices, medical practices, uh, construction companies. I mean, that was my day-to-day -day of anywhere between setting up software and pulling cable. And that was, you know, some 30 years ago. Um, but I, I realized that, uh, the user, the person on the other end of that keyboard, isn't always uh, on board with that new technology that their company has purchased. Uh, so I quickly learned that it's about the individual. It's about their behavior. and It's about how um, technology is going to impact their lives and either help or hurt their job. 
And so I've always kind of kept that training element um, and uh, the empathy of what that person is going through. Uh, anytime there's a new technology product which is being introduced or in some cases forced on the marketplace. Um, so I, I try to step back from the, the, the buzz of a situation or the, you know, the, what I like to call the bright, shiny lights of new technology and focus on how is that going to impact the user? How is that going to really uh, help someone's day-to-day -day efforts? And you have to have that same level of uh, insight when you're dealing with uh, emerging tech companies. When you're looking at uh, startup founders, whether it's a solo founder or just a small team, and say, you know, do they have the empathy for the user? Are they building something because they can build it with technology? Uh, or are they building it because they should build something that solves a problem? And so a lot of what I've done over the years working for uh, two Fortune 50 companies, technology companies, uh, and a whole string of small venture-backed startups is to make sure that the founders and the people that are building the technology are connected with those users and actually solving problems that need to be solved. So you mentioned, uh, you know, what I've done here. I've been in, in, in Tampa Bay for 20 years. Uh, a lot of that has been focused on working with early stage founders as a mentor, as an advisor, uh, as, a, as an executive on those teams, and making sure that I was the voice of saying, well, yeah, but, you know, how is this impacting the user? Uh, and the same with Bar Camp, which is an event that uh, I help put on every year. And we've done uh, consecutively for 12 years. Uh, up until COVID, of course, uh, we took uh, 2020 off. Um, but, you know, that draws anywhere between 600 and 800 local tech professionals uh, who are looking at technology and going, you know, what, what could be next? What do I need to learn? How can I learn from my peers? And a lot of them are thinking about startups. And uh, the, uh, the platform of Barcamp lets people who have that passion for technology stand up in front of a room and just talk about uh, what they're building, talk about uh, new technology that they're learning, talk about uh, how they need help in, in developing a product. And that to me is the, is the equalizer of the tech community because we will give that room to anybody that wants to get up there and talk about something. We'll run uh, you know, 12, 15 simultaneous rooms for anybody that's interested in tech. There's no charge to attend, there's no charge to speak, the people that understand, the people that are passionate about technology, the people that are passionate about startups are all here. No one's trying to sell me anything. No one's trying to push me into anything that I don't want to use or, or, or play with. It is all about people that are just curious about technology. And that curiosity is what drives a good emerging tech ecosystem. Um, so, you know, that's that was a long ramble about what I do um, uh, with Barcamp, but it's also what I try to do in the accelerator program is to encourage that curiosity, encourage people to look at things from the user perspective. And if you do that, you'll have better feeling of what products need to be developed and whether or not you can actually build a business on that. And, you know, circling back to you, David, when we talked about the you know, startup space, what, two years ago uh, at a Starbucks, you know, it, you know I, I think you probably remember me asking those questions of you of, you know, how is this going to impact the person that is the user? How is this going to impact the community that doesn't know they need this service, but is desperately seeking the information, the collaboration, uh, and, you know, and ultimately the, the momentum for uh, building an ecosystem 
And, you know, that really is something I try to embed in every single program. You are one of the handful of, for uh, lack of a better phrase, OG altruistic entrepreneurship champions that I've come across in the country. Like you just mentioned, you know, uh, meeting me to talk about startup space. What is the passion that drives this day in and day out? I mean, you show up to the 1 million cups, you show up to the local pitch competitions. All of this is uh, a lot of your time being invested back into the community. What is the passion that drives this uh, enormous amount of give back to the community? Well, I mean, I'd like to say it's curiosity, uh, which I guess you could translate into, you know, FOMO. Uh, you know, I, but you can't be every place. I mean, you can't be in all places at one time. And the good thing about the Tampa Bay region and other regions that I've been involved in is there's so much activity now that you can't be everywhere. You can't be at every meetup. You can't be at every one million cups. Um, but curiosity drives a lot of, the, of that engagement. And um, that's something that I tell everyone that is looking at this journey, whether they're looking at it as a, um, a, a supporter of the uh, tech ecosystem, or they're looking at actually building a company and, and hiring people and building products and doing all those different things. Um, the other side of that is, I would say, frustration. And you know, if, if you look at a lot of founders of companies, they're building products because they're frustrated with the status quo. Uh, and that's the way I look at ecosystems as well. I, I've, I've lived and worked in other ecosystems all over the country. Um, you know, New York to Atlanta, the back to New York, to Houston, to Seattle for a number of years. Uh, and, you know, and now Tampa Bay for going on 19 years, which is the longest I've lived anywhere. Um, some of that is driven by frustration. Uh, and that frustration um, is the support mechanism for the ecosystem. So if you look at economic development, uh, if you look at public policy, if you look at, um, you know, state and local government, and say, you know, are they doing enough and are they uh, applying resources and, and, and building policies in the right areas? Or are they doing things that are kind of somewhat tone deaf to the early stage entrepreneur? And are they really supporting what we need uh, as to, to uh, build a sustainable economic landscape? So a lot of what I do is out of frustration. So I was very involved in um, the economic stimulus task force that I think was uh, started in Hillsborough County, which for your listeners is Tampa. Um, back in 2009, I think it was, they had that. And I sat in those monthly meetings and listened to the, the, the lawmakers and the economic development people talk about small businesses and startups. And, you know, I had to stand up uh, and just say, you don't have any clue what you're talking about. Um, and, you know, that's a longer rant, but, you know, they would say things like innovation or disruptive technology. Uh, and, you know, they were they were just little, uh, you know, they were placeholders to make it sound like the conversation was interesting and had momentum. But there was really no connection with the people that were building technology companies or any understanding of what it takes to build and support, more importantly, a technology company. Um, so, you know, there were people looking for buzzwords and, and silver bullets and short answers, but not actually creating the policies or listening, again, being empathetic to the people that are actually out there that either have the potential to build those companies or are currently building those companies and saying, what can we do so, to support them? This goes back to the Brad Feld uh, mantra of leaders versus feeders. 
uh, and and you know and who actually has what role in that uh, formula for creating a sustainable and vibrant tech ecosystem. We had brought on Victor in an earlier episode and we'd asked the same question to him. So I'd like to pose this to you. What tools or mechanisms do we have as ecosystem builders to get economic development organizations the right incentives to support small businesses? Because, uh, and you and I have spoken about this before, where if it doesn't result in publicity or press, then economic development organizations typically tend to devalue a specific program. What incentives do you think we need to put in front of them, especially given that entrepreneurship is probably going to be part of the recovery mechanisms coming out of COVID-19 to help bring back the U.S. economy? What incentives can we put in front of economic development agencies to double down on small businesses? Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's a multi-part answer and, you know, it, it, it dives all the way into the education system uh, because you have to have the skill sets of people coming up. Um, they are your deal flow. The deal flow is not whatever company you're trying to relocate to your area. The deal flow is the skill set of your population. And, uh, you know, we can't have policymakers ignoring local education and, you know, graduation rates at high school and community college levels, to, because those are the that's the oxygen which keeps your economy going. So you you have to invest in that. You can't uh, you can't ignore that. And then you have to have the type of resources that um, allow for as many people as are willing to raise their hand to be involved in, in what you do going forward. You know, economic development for the for a large uh, uh, part of their formula and their spend is focused on relocating companies. I mean, they always have been. It's a zero-sum game. I'm going to take one company away from another metropolitan area and move it to my area. So that's always going to be there. Um, but a lot of the incentives for companies doing that, and you obviously saw that with Amazon HQ2, um, are ignored by the economic development folks and the local policymakers. I mean, there were so many cities had no chance at being able to get Amazon because they didn't understand what Amazon was actually looking for. Um, so you have to, you know, uh, you have to have programs, you have to have policies that are focused on the right outcomes. And I say that time and time again, uh, you have to focus on outcomes, not inputs. Uh, inputs being things like research dollars or, you know, the publicity machine or participating in an Amazon HQ2 type of, of, of beauty contest. You know, those are all inputs. Those are all busy work. Um, you don't get paid off for busy work. Just like if you're, you know, if you're building, if, if you're a founder of a software company, you're not going to succeed just because of the number of hours you put into building the software. You actually have to make sure that it gets delivered to customers and it does the job that it's meant to do. You know that as a founder of a startup space. You've got to deliver on that promise. And the companies that are building those products need to be supported to get to that outcome. And it's not just, well, you know, we lease space and they got office space or they did this type of a, of a press release and, or they got this type of a grant. Those are all inputs. Those are all just little bumps along the road. You have to actually have companies that are building products. So 
if economic development and local policymakers understand what the end goal is for the companies, I think they can be more supportive. If all they focus on is uh, the number of people that you hire or the number of uh, square feet of office space that you lease or the number of dollars that you get in a grant or a raise from a venture capitalist, um, th those, those are beauty uh, metrics. Those are not actual or vanity metrics, I guess is the right term. And I think the, Victor uses that, that, that term as well. You can't focus on vanity metrics. You've got to focus on companies that actually build products and ship products. And that is, um, that's outside the, the scope of most, uh, most people in public policy. They're focused on picking winners. They want to find one company that they can put in a press release and trot out in front of the public that will help them, uh, you know, be in the spotlight for X amount of days, weeks, or months, uh, you know, and it, it's just, that's just not the way tech works. That's just not the, um, the, the payoff that we're looking for, for a company that is hiring skilled people, building products that they can sell, that they can sell globally. You have a front row seat to the types of businesses being started in the Tampa Bay area, just from your work. Have you seen barriers to underserved and underrepresented entrepreneurs starting businesses in the Tampa Bay region? Um, absolutely. I mean, the barriers are there. And again, it goes back to the education system, but it also goes to the mentality of the startup ecosystem. Um, you know, for, for years, uh, you know, the startup ecosystem has been, uh, well, some of the startup ecosystem, I should say that all of it, but uh, you know, the, a large part of the visible startup ecosystem has been leaning on the crutch of we don't get the venture capital that we deserve, therefore we can't succeed. Uh, and, you know, that has become an excuse. Uh, and that excuse trickles down to the individual entrepreneur or the individual, you know, uh, would-be founder of saying, well, don't get in this game if you don't think you can raise the venture capital. Because, you know, it's not available in Tampa Bay or it's not available in, you know, in this metropolitan area. We don't get the you know, same amount of money that Silicon Valley does or Boston or Austin. Um, and you see that trickle down into subsets of the community as well. Say, OK, you know, um, you know, this segment of the community doesn't get the venture capital it deserves. That can't be the only focus. I mean, it, obviously, capital is needed to grow companies. Capital is not necessarily needed to start companies. So you can't discourage would-be entrepreneurs based on um, these artificial barriers. You can't say, well, you didn't go to the right four-year school, therefore you really shouldn't be a founder of a company. Or, you know, you have no chance uh, of raising money, therefore you shouldn't start. There are no barriers to people having insight on problems that need to be solved. There is no restriction on someone looking at an industry or a consumer problem or a business problem and saying, this could be better. The barriers come up when it's down to the execution. And so we need to be, and we need to have resources that help people with the execution. You know, do you, do you, uh, you know, do you have the business resources to form the company and, you know, start building a prototype or a proof of concept? Sometimes people don't have access to that, but that's that's the access that they need. And you don't need to raise a whole bunch of venture capital to do that. You bootstrap it and you build it with whatever you have. I mean, you know that you bootstrap your company and, you know, you put it together with you know, the resources and the cash that you had on hand 
and and took it and trotted it out in front of customers and said, you know, is this something that's interesting to you? More people need to feel empowered to be able to do that um, without this this um, this uh, idea that if you can't raise venture capital, don't even start. And to, to me, that's a shame because that's become kind of a mentality which has flowed all the way up to our policymakers. That's flowed up to the, the, the local and the state level of saying, you know, boy, we, we need to do something to attract venture capital people here. Well, no, what you need to do is make sure that people that have insight that uh, could result in a interesting new and innovative product, that they get the resources that they need to try a proof of concept, to connect with a potential customer, which is something that you can always do when you open up your Rolodex, it costs you virtually nothing. And, uh, you know, if people can then prove to a potential customer that they've solved the problem, then the other barriers become things that you need to knock down, but not until that point. It doesn't matter how you start if you're starting from a place of insight. Absolutely. I will ask you one other question regarding the same topic. You know, you've uh, talked about starting with education, and I think that's brilliant. Not many of our guests have pointed that out. And I've experienced that. I spoke uh, at a local high school here. I won't name the high school about entrepreneurship. And I asked them very simple things like, and I was speaking with the 10th grade class. I asked them, do you know who a CEO is? Do you know who a CTO is? And I was talking to them about uh, technology. And I found that even the very basic knowledge about small business activity and how to start a business was not being taught early on in the educational process. And I think that that then sets up these institutions uh, like this high school with students coming out of it that might not have an entrepreneurship mindset. And that then becomes a barrier to the execution, like you said, because I'm sure these students see problems in their community that they want to solve for, but they don't have the tools and they haven't been equipped with the knowledge to be able to, to actually go solve the problems. So that's first part. The second part is we've seen with some of our clients that offer technical assistance as a mandatory option. So it's a mandatory part of getting access to a grant. And that has then set these entrepreneurs up to have tremendous success because entrepreneurship is a learned sport. You don't get you know, this divine wisdom one day, or you're not born being an entrepreneur. It's a lot of these life skills and the ability to, uh, to kind of navigate how you talk to people, how you identify problems, et cetera. It's all very much a learned skill. Can you talk to us more about education and the role it plays in kind of breaking down these very systemic barriers to having underrepresented entrepreneurs start more businesses? Oh, sure. Um, and you know, you're right. I mean, there there are some life skills that need to be uh, that need to be taught. There are some business skills as well, but I'm I'm less I'm less concerned about that because you know, teaching someone how to incorporate their company or how to do QuickBooks or things like that, you know, are all secondary for most, especially tech businesses, because it, unless you've got something that solves a problem first. You know how you're incorporated or how you do your books doesn't matter. You know, uh, or even you know even if you uh, you know haven't done you know the, you know checked all the legal boxes. And so you know a lot of the SBDC programs and 
and school programs focus on those things. And, and they're all good to have exposure uh, to uh, as an entrepreneur, as a founder, but they're not the tip of the spear. The tip of the spear is I see a problem that needs to be solved. Now I'm going to go out and talk to people whether or not they see the same problem. Uh, and I, it, this is a big part of the accelerator program uh, that I uh, conduct is teaching people how to go talk to other people about those problems. You know, too often people are in this shark tank mode of let me, you know, uh, show you this bright, shiny object. Let me show you this product and tell you how wonderful it is. And, you know, that is teaching people the wrong behavior. One, it's teaching, it's reinforcing the behavior. It's all about raising money, which is just a, a false uh, a narrative. You know, that is just the, a, a recipe for failure when you're trying to establish whether or not you are solving a problem for someone. So teaching people how to have those empathetic conversations with potential users and, you know, talk less and listen more is really the key to understanding the fact that if you see a problem, do other people see that same problem? And are they willing to actually go the extra mile to solve it? And it's not about selling product at that point. It's about understanding what problems people need to have solved. The next question I have is around navigating COVID-19. We have practitioners of ecosystem building that are audiences of this podcast, and we have small businesses that listen as well. What are some effective ways in which you've seen small businesses and ecosystem builders navigate COVID-19? And what are some things that we need to be considering as we look at the next 12 to 18 months of this pandemic? Well, I'm going to have a, a somewhat isolated answer to this because I deal only with tech companies. That being said, it really is about connecting with the potential users and how they want to see their problem solved. And, you know, I have found in the, in the last cohort of the accelerator, it actually being easier to connect with people online through Zoom or Microsoft Teams, uh, make it easy for people to interact with you, make it easy to do one-on-ones, invest heavily in customer success. Uh, and if you're a solo founder, that is just one more hat that you need to wear. Never have a blind spot when it comes to what your users are doing or what they're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis in their lives or their business. Um, so, you know, look for those blind spots. Listen for those areas where um, they're not being heard by the general market. They're not being heard by the, the products and, and services that they uh, are currently subscribing to or using. And, and try to be empathetic to that, fill in those gaps. Um, you know, everyone uh, is looking at recovery from COVID uh, and that recovery is going to be slow and it's going to be different. People are not gonna want to engage the same way. So you have to adapt to um, that new model and make it easy for them to do business with you. It's not just about the product that solves the problem, it's the full life cycle of dealing with you as a producer of a product or a vendor of a product, uh, people, you've got to you've got to step back from the 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 transactional element of the buying the product and look at the entire process of how people interact with you as a solution provider, you as a a problem solver, and look at that and say, are my potential customers as comfortable with this as I can, as they can be. 
And if the answer is no, you've got more work to do. It doesn't mean you have to change your product, but everything about that, how they learn about that product, how they get that product, and unless people are stepping back from that problem and looking at the broader picture, you are going to be handicapped by this new COVID environment, at least for you know the next six to nine months. So take a step back. Don't be myopic. Don't don't live in a little silo of all I have to do is, you know, they click buy and get this product. It's not that easy anymore. It, it never really was, but COVID just kind of brought it to the forefront of saying, you've got to pay more attention to how your customers interact with you. And you just can't slough it off on better Marcom. Again, it's always amazing to speak with you. You've got such great insights into the the characteristics of a small business and the things that they need to pay attention to most. Uh, I'm going to ask two last questions. One is for the practitioners of ecosystem building that are listening to this podcast. You have such a great and varied uh, experience uh, and track record of supporting entrepreneurship. What would be like one thing you would tell them, especially the ones that are just starting out? Uh, what is the one piece of advice you would give yourself if you were just starting out today uh, in supporting the ecosystem? And then the second part of the question is, how can people find out about your work, follow you, and share about the work you're doing uh, either on social media or to their friends and colleagues? Sure thing. Um, and again, thank you for having me on the pod. It's always good to chat with you. Um, I, I would say for the people that are the ecosystem builders, because they come out of you know the economic development world uh, uh, more often than not, is to make sure that you can um, transition from input metrics to outcome metrics. Focus on making sure that the people that are in your ecosystem can get to the final stage. They can have good outcomes. You know, it's not just about research dollars as grants or you know number of new companies started. Help them get to their outcome and realize that getting them to that outcome is about connecting them with customers, connecting them with talent, getting them to be able to bootstrap and execute as easily as possible. Back to that initial uh, comment that I made about anybody can have a, a, a meaningful insight into a problem that needs to be solved. There is no barriers to that level of curiosity. So make sure you're encouraging that curiosity and then deliver on the promise that if they are curious, you will help them vet that idea and help them actually build something. You will not put any artificial barriers in their way to, uh, as far as execution. That's the brand promise that you need to have as an ecosystem. You bring the curiosity, we'll help with the execution. The, the, I, the insight that never gets turned into a product because someone felt like there was a barrier or there was a barrier then you failed as an ecosystem because that's the level of support that you need to have. Again, back to the Brad Feld comment. As an ecosystem builder, you are not the leader. The leader is the person that's out there solving the problem. They, it's the entrepreneur. It's the, it's the startup founder. You are a feeder, so understand your role and do the best job you can at feeding them the resources they need to execute. And how can people follow your work? Oh, sure. Well, um, as, as, uh, as you said, I work for the Tampa Bay Innovation Center, which is in downtown St. Pete. So they can follow us. Uh, our website is tbinnovates.com. 
Our social media is TB Innovates. Um, and uh, you can follow me on a, a number of different uh, platforms if you want to just uh, track what I'm doing. Uh, and uh, one of my uh, social media handles is Startup Monkey. It always has been. Uh, I tried to keep it a secret until uh, someone uh, blurted it out on a video one day. So I pretty much have to go by Startup Monkey. Uh, and, uh, and that's where most of my followers are uh, on all the social media platforms. And I'm trying to expand that to more video as well. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I created that handle because to me, any type of entrepreneurial effort is an evolution. It starts with an idea and then it turns into something that, you know, hopefully uh, builds on itself. And it's that level of curiosity. It's that level of what if that we need to see. Uh, and that's where I kind of, you know, that's where I hold myself accountable. That's where I hold our ecosystem accountable. Are we doing the right things to make sure curious people have the outlets and the resources they need, regardless of their background, regardless of age, regardless of their life experiences? Do they see something interesting that could potentially be the next big thing. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you today, Ken, and I look forward to bringing you back on the show. Thank you for being such an amazing champion for entrepreneurship and for small businesses and for being an advisor of Startup Space. Thank you. Always happy, David. Uh, and good luck with uh, the program and good luck to your team. Uh, you've got a great group of individuals supporting you in this effort, and uh, it's just been amazing to watch uh, the growth and the success that you've had over the last uh, year or so. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners hosted by David Ponrush. Special thanks to Ken Evans for joining us. Cover art by show manager and creative director Mackenzie dial Fritcher edited and produced by Lauren Bernard. If you'd like to suggest interviewees, new topics, or just want to reach out, please email us at podcast at startupspace.app. All Breaking Down Barriers episodes are available on our website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe for all the latest updates.